0: Welcome to the Brown County Hour.
1: Coming to you from the legendary Hills of Brown. Where are the plum purple haze.
2: The one nature herself drapes over the hills and hollers.
1: Inspires local characters, artists, and nature lovers.
3: It's as though the hills themselves conspire to create a beauty and culture in the heart of Indiana.
1: Sit for a spell and hear the music.
3: Tall tales.
1: True stories
3: and current goings on.
1: Brought to you by folks who still know how to sit by a fire in winter
0: and swim buck naked in summer. Welcome to episode 93 of the Brown County Hour. This is Dave Seastrup.
1: And Vera Grubbs, along with the rest of the crew. Our musical guest this month is Chris Wolfe, and we'll share his interview and three of his wonderful songs.
0: Herbalist Susan Clearwater returns with some advice about illness. Phil Stevens tells us about recycling in Brown County. Mark Stoll fills us in about the community theater project he's working on.
1: Rick Feddick shares a few thoughts and prayers. Jim Eagleman gives us the lowdown on turkeys. And Dave Seastrom has a few words about joining the 21st century.
3: Segment one begins with our Chris Wolf interview. Herbalist Susan Clearwater shares her views about illness as a teacher. And we'll close with Chris Wolfe's song, when I was a kid. And it's from his new CD that's coming out this December. but seriously folks.
0: Well this evening it is my pleasure to introduce Chris Wolfe the man you've never heard of, and uh, he has just treated us to some of his excellent original songs that are not only humorous, but extremely well played, and I think that's part of your deal, Chris, is that you make us think about things we haven't thought of,
4: you make us laugh, and then we get to enjoy your really good music. Oh, thank you. That's very nice. (laughs) Uh, Well, that's how my brain works. I think of things that people don't think of. Well, and I think that's what makes you special. That's, well, that has become my brand.
2: Yes.
0: Yes. Well, and of course, because of the internet and everything else, I've got this whole list of things about you here, and you're actually a very multidimensional human being, and not just the funny guy behind the guitar. I mean, you've had some real opportunities
4: in your life and won some awards, and... I I have been honored to... um... Be awarded a couple of things here and there, but uh, it's not the elusive Grammy yet. No. <laughs> well, uh, first you have to be nominated for the Grammy. That's you right. Have to be, right. <laughs> so you got everybody uh, starts somewhere.
0: But uh, so you were on this cruise, and I've I, I think that's kind of fascinating. Uh, so like, I'm aware that there are cruises in the world. I'm,
4: I'm not a person that partakes in them, but music cruise that sounds pretty special. Yes. Um. Actually, we're going back again in. Um, February for our tenth year in a row. Wow! Eleven years ago, my wife found this cruise. It's called Kayamo, and it's a music cruise, and they have six stages basically, from a small side stages to uh, there's a big stage on the pool deck. There's, and we've had as guests on that cruise, we've had John Prine and Lyle Lovett and Chris Christopherson and Brandy Carlisle and. Casey Musgraves and Sean Mullins, and the list goes on and on. Richard and Thompson. Richard Thompson was there. So did you really get to hang out with Richard? Or? Well, I didn't. I mean, no, I didn't get to hang out with him. I mean, wow. he was there. It's really cool because um, the passengers are really low-key. They're not, like, in- intrusive, you know. Like, one time I went down to the buffet, and there's John Prine in flip-flops and shorts. they there holding an uh, ice cream cone in each hand. <laughs> and people were just nodding to him or just waving or saying hi John right. and they didn't like swamp him for an autograph and stuff you know and and um, they, they'll come out and, and and chat and mingle with the, the folks but the coolest thing about it is like one time um, Brandi Carlisle was on stage singing with her band and Chris Christopherson gets up and does a song with her mm. I mean nice. that doesn't happen right? if you go see Brandi Carlisle or if you go see Chris Christopherson, the collaboration is just fantastic. You never know who's going to show up on whose stage. And, um, you know, Amy Lou Harris walks up and starts performing with Buddy Miller. Wow. And it's just, it's, there's nothing like it. But I, the first year I went, I was fortunate enough to win the open mic contest. Actually, I tied with a girl who is now a good friend of ours. And we got our own set on the main stage in the atrium. Nice. Um, as a prize. Yeah. I was on the bill with all the people, you know, I think John Hyatt was on that year and Lyle Lovett. And wow. That's so. pretty special. Well, I am most familiar with you through
0: WFHB, who mm-hmm. many of the DJs play your songs a lot. And I've even heard you on Saturday's Child, where mm-hmm. you were a featured
4: performer. Yes. WFHB has been very kind to me. So you've got a new CD coming out. I do. Yes, it's it's going to be out um, late December or early January is what I'm shooting for. Uh, yeah, it's going to be fun. I can't um, imagine it being anything else. <laughs> well, um, I'm calling it, but seriously, folk. And of course, butt was with two T's. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, and and it'll be broken into three categories of songs, but seriously in folk songs. <laughs> ah,
0: there you go. That's fantastic. Yeah, so keep an eye out.
4: Watch your grocery shelves.
0: <laughs> well, you know, it's obvious
4: that uh, you've listened to a lot of fingerstyle guitar players in your lifetime. Yes. Yeah. Leo Kotke ch- turned my life around. I'd been playing Neil Young and John Prine covers and not really written much of my own and had only been playing guitar for about two or three years and then a guy i was working with he brought in a cassette because we had boom boxes on the job i was in construction he puts this cassette in, and it was leo cocky six and 12 string guitar and i i just was was not aware of anything that existed like that and All i right. immediately tried my best to become leo cocky but You don't go from strumming the needle and the damage is done (laughs) to to playing Vaseline Machine Gun or one of those Or Bean Time. Bean Time, yeah, Yeah. or or Last Steam Engine Train. And, um, yeah, so then that led me down the path of to start. You had to start somewhere. Well, the beginning was the uh, country blues, Piedmont-style, finger-style blues guys in the 20s and 30s. And so I studied that for a while, and then the Delta blues sound with Robert Johnson and guys like that. And then that led me to Merle Travis, Ike Everly, and that led to Chet Atkins and Jerry Reed and then Tommy Emmanuel, And it's... It's the deepest wall is, on the planet. It is. And and so I thought, well, I'll never do that. I'll just write songs about poop and stuff. <laughs> 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 I take I take as much as I can from those guys that I'm able to actually mechanically do. No, at some point... My uh, quest to become a great fingerstyle player got diverted into, I want to be a songwriter. And I mentioned Bob Schneider earlier. Yeah, Him and Tom Waits were the two that, like, turned me into, oh, I can write about that.
0: Yeah, Tom Waits, there's no boundaries at yeah. all. And yeah, and so,
4: so that's what turned me around. And then, of course, you know, I grew up on the Smothers Brothers. My mom and dad had Smothers Brothers records and Stan Freeberg, <laughs> remember? Sure, So I I grew up listening to that stuff and then I started listening to Tom Waits and, you know, it wasn't, oh, everything's happy, baby, I love you. It's like, there's some dirty, gritty stuff that happens and nobody talks about, you know? Yeah, exactly. And it's... And you found the humor in all of that. Well, yeah, I tend to lean on the humor a lot. That's my happy place. But I do have some serious songs. That's why it's it's But Seriously Folk because... I do have some serious songs, but people I'm not complaining, but people remember the funny songs more vividly than yeah. the serious songs. Which, you know, that's the, cool because that's Well that's,
0: I mean it's the danger of being pigeonholed because you do this thing that everybody remembers. Right. And you know, I'm good with that. <laughs> yeah. Well it's better to be remembered than not. Actually nobody's ever heard of me, so <laughs> ah! <laughs> Well, that does seem to be your like motto, right? <laughs> yeah, that's never uh, heard of him.
4: That's, that's uh, you know, it's a little sticker I made um, a year or so ago, maybe two years ago. My announcement of my anonymity has been the most successful PR campaign I've ever put forth.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love that. So, Chris, are you going to be performing anywhere close by soon? or?
4: I just got through doing October, which was a huge month. And in November, it's starting to taper off a, a little bit. And that's good because... Um, I've got this record coming out, and I'm trying to concentrate on getting that out. But so yeah, just look out for for my website. Um, I have a, a trio I perform with too called CPR Revival, and because okay. CPR won't kill you, and it's um, <laughs> CPR stands for Chris, Pablo, and Ralph. Uh, well, there you and go. And it's me and, and my two buddies, and our moniker for that is um, CPR Revival. We ain't a band because we're just three original songwriters and. We travel around doing a songwriter's round, like a traveling joke-telling, storytelling. But we've been doing it for seven years now, so we sound like a band, but we ain't a band. Fair enough. <laughs> band, bands practice. We don't ever practice. <laughs> well, all right, Chris. So you mentioned your website. What is your website? ChrisWolfSongs.com. Okay, and you have a Facebook page. I do. Um, I think it's the Chris Wolf or something. But well, just look look up Chris Wolf and there's well, probably the,
0: the Chris Wolf is better than A Chris Wolf. Yes. Right? Well Chris it's been absolutely <laughs> wonderful to have you in this evening. We loved your music. You're obviously a total character <laughs> and
4: we we really appreciate it. Well thank that. you so much for having me. This has been fun. Yeah. Check out the record when it comes out. We will. Uh, what is the name of that CD? It will be called But Seriously Folk.
0: But Seriously Folk. Thanks again. Thank you.
5: Greetings. This is Susan Clearwater, and today I'm using an excerpt from my book, The Art of Herbal Healing, A Guide to Health and Wholeness, to talk about embracing illness as a teacher. It's important for our health to understand the holism within nature and ourselves and to live in this balance of wholeness. The segmented view that our body and the world are a conglomeration of separate, unrelated parts creates disruption in the human psyche and body, resulting in experiences of isolation, fear, and disease. Embracing the enlightened attitude that illness and pain are opportunities for learning and transformation gives meaning and purpose to difficult situations. By releasing the energies of guilt, shame, and the belief that illness is punishment, we mobilize our restorative healing abilities. Sickness is a profound teacher, urging us to dive deep within to explore the inner universe of our body and the nature of our thoughts and emotions. Sickness and pain invite us to courageously examine, forgive, and release old patterns and ways of thinking and acting that no longer serve us, and invite us to nurture our life force by connecting with our inner wisdom and healing potential. To a great extent, it's our response to life's difficulties that determine the outcome rather than the difficulty itself. Problems appearing to be unworkable are often solved not by attacking the problem, but by changing our attitudes and interpretation of the situation. We usually have no control over other people or situations, but we can be empowered to promote positive change by observing and adjusting our own attitudes and behaviors. Research shows that feelings and expressions of love and joy promote life-enhancing chemicals, immunity, and sense of well-being. The opposite occurs when fear, anger, or grief consume us, causing anxiety, weak immunity, and greater tendency towards physical and psychological illness and suffering. Although all of our choices and actions are directed by our thoughts and emotions, how much time do we actually spend examining these? How often do we feel controlled and powerless by incessant disturbing thoughts and raging emotions? We live in such a chaotic and often cruel world. It can easily feel like we're alone and adrift in a turbulent, stormy sea with no life jacket for stability. And so, In order to tap into your healing potential and enjoy optimal health, I encourage people to spend as much time as possible in the peaceful calm of nature and engage in a daily exploration into what I call the universe of you. Commit to developing a daily routine of sitting in a quiet place to relax. Bring your focus of attention to yourself and courageously explore your thoughts, feelings, and the physical sensations within your body. Spend some time every day, whether 10 minutes or an hour, to relax, breathe, and pay attention to what is going on within. Early mornings are often the best time and are a peaceful yet powerful way to start the day. Beginning with gentle, centering movements, such as Tai Chi, Qigong, or yoga, is relaxing. When ready to sit and focus your mind, It's helpful to read something inspirational, ask for help through prayer, or sing and use the power of sound to balance and heal. If discomfort or pain is felt in your body, if grief is felt in your heart or anger in your gut, explore and embrace these with kindness. As you inhale, draw your breath into your heart, acknowledging the life-giving healing energy in each breath you take. From your heart, as you exhale, use your breath to push the energy to any area of discomfort. Examine your thoughts, attitudes, and feelings about yourself and the world. Over time, as you practice this, your body and mind will respond by relaxing and feeling greater connection with the calm center of innate intelligence within you. A quiet time of daily reflection and inner discovery can become the life jacket in the stormy sea of life, the anchor connecting us to the inner calm and intelligence of creation that is the essential core of light within each of us. Embarking on this journey of discovery through our inner landscape is challenging and rewarding in countless ways. Feeling connected with our inner being opens us to feel the same connection with other people and all of nature. The connection we feel for the wholeness of life brings freedom from the bondage of feeling separated and isolated. As we connect and identify with the inner light of which the ancients and quantum physicists have spoken, we tap into the essence of healing and allow illness to be an amazing teacher. This is Susan Clearwater, and here's to your health.
4: Never was popular when I was a kid. Never had a whole lot of friends. But I found out. That Being a kid ain't where the story ends Some of them kids thought they knew it all They never had a clue I wonder if they look back at the things that they did I bet they never do But they never hung banners up on the wall If you got a passing grade And some of them kids, man, they could throw a ball Better than me and you But these days I find That something that I'm not really required to do I'll bet you figure it out
1: pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB, at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 in Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org. In this segment, Program Director, Phil Stevens, discusses recycling in Brown County. Mark Stoll gives us an update on the community theater project he's spearheading. And we'll close with a tune Chris Wolf recorded live in our studio, Summer Rain. This evening, it's our pleasure to introduce Phil Stevens, who is the director of our recycling center. Thank you for coming in. Thanks, Dave. I appreciate it. A lot of us utilize this wonderful resource that we have here in Brown County. Let's let's talk in general terms about what types of things does the recycling center take? We were talking about washers and dryers just a few minutes ago. Uh-huh. You know, uh, we're all familiar with the outside bins and of course the pleasure of pulling through and having the friendly attendants uh, remove the th- recycles from our vehicles. But uh, I know you have special days that you offer different services and you want to talk in general about what kind of services the Recycle Center offers.
6: Okay, um, Dave, what well, well, we take every day our, um, is cardboard, glass, all types of plastic, number ones through sevens, including plastic that is not marked. We take that as well. We take cans. We take uh, electrical wiring of all sorts, Christmas lights we take, uh, appliances of all sorts, I mean any and all appliances, With Freon appliances, like a refrigerator or a freezer or a dehumidifier, there's a $15 Freon removal fee. Okay. Uh, We we charge that because that's what our recycle vendor charges us. We don't make any money off that. We just just have to pass it through. Uh, We have special event days where we take um, shredding. We do paper shredding twice a year. We do overall electronics twice a year. Uh, We do tires once a year uh let's start with shredding uh that usually is a saturday morning for three hours we don't charge to have that done but we do take donations and it's been very successful we take in about uh, five tons of shredding for in a three-hour period typically wow. so you got quite... some
0: kind of giant machine you can just feed it all into or
6: well actually a shredding truck comes down okay with a built-in uh shredding apparatus that does it all for us yeah there you go so why are tires so problematic I don't know. They've just been thrown about around Brown County for decades, I think. This past year, uh, let's see, when was our tire day? In um, June, we took in 4,500 tires. Oh, my God. And since I have been director since 2013, we've taken in over 20,000 tires. We have that documented. That is amazing. Now, oh, a incredible. lot of
0: these are coming out of ravines and
6: ravines, people's yards. Yeah. Um, we take all types of tires from just the, the tires in somebody's front yard to uh, bus tires. Okay. That bus driver that's had a few big tires sitting around for a while, we will take those. Okay. We also uh, pick up tires, too, for people that don't have a ways to get the tires in or their elderly that's disabled. We have a volunteer crew that comes around for a day and, and picks up tires for them. Oh, that's nice.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, I may have this incorrect, but do you
6: take styrofoam? We don't. That's one of the few things we don't take. Styrofoam is a different animal. It requires special machinery to uh, to process it, and it has to be uh, broken down to what's called a densification machine, which alone is about forty thousand dollars. Then we we would need an extra truck bay to load that in, and we just we just don't have the uh, the ways and the means to do that right now. I, I wish we could.
0: Okay can't do everything no we can't although we try well and uh could tell you honestly as a user of your service uh i deeply appreciate it i know everybody else in well, the thanks, county feels that way too one of the things i'm curious about is financially how are you guys doing
6: well we're primarily taxpayer funded yes we do take in some uh some nominal fees for tires for the shredding, we take we will take a donation. But I don't believe in charging too many extra special fees to our users. As I said, we are primarily taxpayer-funded, and I just want to make sure that the taxpayer gets the best bang for their buck.
0: Well, I certainly appreciate that as a taxpayer, mm-hmm. although you are saving me money. This yes. is money. I don't have to stuff these things into a bag and pay $3 to throw away. Right. But overall, you, you would say that you're in pretty good financial health?
6: We, we manage the budgets pretty well. We, we don't spend extravagantly at all, uh, just what we need to operate, to operate effectively, and to start a couple of new programs. We, we do take bag trash at $2 a bag. Right. Uh We do charge for that. But f- so far, we've handled the budgets pretty well uh, w- without asking hardly any increases in our what's called our max levy tax rate year after year. So we, we, we've held pretty well.
0: Let's talk about the uh, plastic caps to benches program. What is that about? In a
6: nutshell, that's um, put on by Green Tree Plastics out of Evansville, Indiana. It's called their ABC Promise Program, and uh, Green Tree Plastics is the only company in, in the United States that recycles caps at all.
0: Well, and, why is that? Are they made out of different kind of plastic? They or? are.
6: They are. It, it, it's a bit. It's a bit more stiffer, rugged plastic. And they specifically make benches. They make, uh, of all sorts, picnic benches, plain old park benches to sit on, that sort of thing. And they've become extremely popular uh, in Brown County. In fact, we have orders pending for 20 of them right now. It takes approximately 200 pounds of caps to make a bench. Okay, do you charge for these benches? Yes, on top of that, there's about a $200 charge per bench. Okay, but you're talking about something that's going to last. Right, I mean, they're extremely rugged. They're, they're very heavy, um, uh-huh. well-built benches. There's no question about it. Outdoor rated, um, they'll last for years. Excellent. But uh, right now, the town of Nashville is looking at buying several of them. The Rotary Club, the YMCA, the Lions Club, you name it. The uh, Shriners are looking to buy one. So they're, they're getting very popular. Typically, we'll we'll take the caps down to Evansville
0: and bring the benches back. So they do the whole thing, they process the plastic,
6: they press it in the molds, Mm -hmm. they
0: Mm -hmm. produce a finished product. Right.
6: Now, the ABC Promise Program, what they like done is to uh, for a good portion of the caps to come from school children, from the schools, which Brown County Schools does supply a lot of the caps. The idea being that creates awareness among young people to recycle, and uh, we feel we've accomplished that with this program. Schools love it. So the schools themselves actually collect the caps? Where... Yeah, they do, and they'll bring it to us. Excellent. As, done, as do a lot of private citizens collect caps for us. Uh, the different clubs like the YMCA, the Rotary, et cetera, they collect caps for us. The town of Nashville collects caps for us. Local businesses like Brighton-Williamson Insurance collect caps for us. So we, we're getting a lot of sources of caps, but we still need a lot more. I assume you guys have a Facebook page? We do. It, it's, it's pretty much Phil Stevens' director. It's 90% recycling issues, environmental issues, and you'll get a lot of good information on that. Um, do you also have a website?
0: We do, uh,
6: browncountyrecycles.org.
0: Well, Phil, thank you so much for coming in and sharing thank this you, information. Well, thank you, Dave. I appreciate it. This evening, it is my pleasure to introduce Mark Stoley, who is here to discuss Theater Brown County. Hey, Mark. Thanks for coming in. Oh, it's my
2: pleasure. <laughs> Glad to be here.
0: Had a really great conversation leading up to this interview. Let's reprise some of that. Tell us about the origins of Theater Brown County and your particular interest in it.
2: I'm a newbie to Brown County. Uh, my wife and I moved here in late January, and... Uh, My hobby has always been community theater. We came from Liberty, Indiana, which is just south of Richmond, and Richmond Civic Theater uh, has a wonderful 75-year history of producing all kinds of different shows, dramas, musicals, comedies. uh, And so I kind of cut my teeth there. So I was excited to uh, come to this area, and then we found out about the Playhouse, and then I was hooked up with Bob Curlin, We discussed community theater in general, and I found out that Bob was excited about the prospect of adding a community theater component to the Playhouse schedule. So we discussed it for a while. Uh, I eventually then got on the board of the Playhouse, and uh, they have been very gracious to work with me, and we actually have two plays scheduled in the 2020 schedule. Well, that's exciting. Tell us about them. Well, the first one is along actually. Uh, it's going to be in early June and it's a show called Vanya and Sonia and Masha and Spike. This was a show that actually won the 2013 Tony for best production. Uh, so hmm. it's, it's an award winning comedy. This is a one set show so we didn't have to worry about a lot of set changes only six people so I wasn't sure how enthusiastic the response would be to participating in community theater so I had to have something kind of small plus I had to be familiar with it in case I can't find somebody that wants to direct it that if I had to step in and, and direct it myself. So,
0: so so this is going to be community theater and I assume
2: everyone involved will be a volunteer. What my uh, my experience with a the community theater is the model is all volunteer and that's what I'm striving to do. We want to have open auditions. Absolutely everyone is uh, open to be coming in and and auditioning for any of the parts. Anyone can participate from wanting to be a director to wanting to be a stage manager, helping backstage, working on costumes, props, uh, lighting, sound, just all aspects of theatrical production. So it's actually a, a possibility for a learning experience as well and we want it to be a fun experience.
0: Well, as I mentioned earlier, my wife is involved in community theater, and it's obvious that the reason that people do this is because they love it. Absolutely. You mentioned that you had opened this up and that you've been receiving a lot of enthusiastic response.
2: Yeah, I actually wrote an article for the uh, Democrat. It was kind of talking about wanting to start a community theater, was inviting people to come to the Playhouse for an informative meeting i had something like 70 people give me email addresses and essentially sign up on our facebook page there's actually a theater brown county group on facebook so i have an awful lot of contacts that wanted to know what the next steps were and since then that has grown i think just in the last two weeks alone the theater brown county had probably two dozen requests for membership in just, two, in just two weeks. And so you've got six parts coming up. This, this particular uh, show will have six parts, two men and four women. It is a comedy. It's, it's pretty funny. Uh, my intention is to have a pre-audition meeting to kind of discuss the audition process for the community. So people know what they're getting into, know that it's actually fun. It's nothing to be afraid of or scared of. First time I ever auditioned for something, I had butterflies in my stomach for an awfully long time. And in community theater, that's not the case. I actually enjoy auditions and rehearsals as much as I enjoy the performance. I mean, it's just something to look forward to.
0: Well, So what is the second production that you're going to put on?
2: We haven't decided the second production. We have decided that the second production, which will be about mid-September, is going to be a musical, but we haven't selected it yet. Uh, I'm a little interested in seeing what kind of response we have for our auditions for this comedy. Um, musicals are going to be more difficult, obviously. I have to make some arrangements with musicians, right? Obviously, is oh, what well. I don't think. That I was good. I know, boy. You know, you have to beat the bushes in this area to get musicians. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I mean, there's a, such a wealth of talent in all areas yeah. uh, in this community, uh, and including, you know, other areas of theater. You know, makeup there's a dress shop. I mean, costumes. Right. You know, right. I mean, there's just so many people that can contribute within this. There's this even a community. few carpenters around. Uh, indeed. And I didn't mention set design and set construction, which is extremely important. So these are all things which we're, we're going to be uh, uh, needing and looking at.
0: Well, Mark, this sounds very exciting. I'm sure there are people that will be hearing this will, that will want to contact you would you give us uh, your Facebook page?
2: Uh, yes, the Facebook page is Theater Brown County, also posted at the Playhouse's uh, website. And there's a, a communication address that's gmail.com. and that theater is with an R-E instead of an E-R. Just uh, to
0: keep everyone confused.
2: Yes, exactly. Well, Theater, R-E, usually means the physical theater, and E-R is usually the, the subject matter of theater. It's confusing, but we kind of use them somewhat interchangeably.
0: Well, we are speaking English, after all.
2: <laughs> there is that as well, yes. Well,
0: Mark, thank you so much for coming in and sharing this information. Uh, I know there will be a lot of enthusiasm, and I can't wait to see your first production.
4: We're all looking forward to being a part of
0: it. You know, we look forward to having you in as this project progresses.
4: And this is a song I wrote due to a songwriting group that I started with a friend of mine on Facebook called the Indie Song Name Game, where we throw out a prompt every so often and ask you to use the prompt in a song, and then we ask you to perform it in video format and post it on the page. And the prompt for this song was Summer Rain, and it's been my favorite one from the game that I've come up with. I don't really have a lot of money But I just paid off my double wide Never had much time for a honey Always wished I had one by my side Lately there's this girl that's caught my fancy Living in the trailer next to mine She told me that her name is Nancy I think she knows, I think she's really fine And summer rain keeps coming through my window But it's too hot to keep it closed at night I know that someday I'll have to find a way Try to keep that window locked up tight Well I found out Nancy has a boyfriend Biker type, they call him Savage Stew. He works as a bouncer at the strip club Turns out that's where Nancy's working too And Nancy had to get herself a stage name So Stu, he drinks too much to ease his head And when she's on the pole, they call her Summer Rain then she goes home and puts drunk stew to bed. And summer rain keeps coming through my window. But it's too hot to keep it closed at night. I know that someday I'll have to find a way. To try to keep that window locked up tight. Yeah, summer rain keeps coming through my window. But it's too hot to keep it closed at night I know that someday I'll have to find a way Try to keep that window locked up tight I'll try to keep that window locked up tight
1: we pause for station identification.
0: You are listening to the Brown County Hour on Volunteer Power Community Radio, WFHB at 100.7 in Brown County, 91.3 and 98.1 in Bloomington, 106.3 at Ellettsville, and online at wfhb.org.
7: Our final segment begins with Rick Fettig contemplating
1: the meaning of thoughts and prayers. Jim Eagleman has a timely
7: essay about turkeys, and Dave Seastrom shares his thoughts about becoming a member of the 21st century. We'll close with a song Chris Wolfe recorded in our studio, Beater with a Heater.
2: Support for the Brown County Hour comes from listeners like you and the support of the Brown County Inn, a family-friendly getaway destination located in Nashville, Indiana, offering locally sourced food, drinks, and live entertainment with banquet space, indoor-outdoor pool, miniature golf, and more. Information and booking available at
3: browncountyinn.com. Thoughts and prayers, thoughts and prayers, a term we often hear whenever something tragic happens to someone. Say, a school shooting, a devastating natural disaster like tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, when people lose someone or perhaps everything they own. They are, in our thoughts and prayers, often becomes the anthem. The next rallying cry is, is that enough? Is there anything else we can do? Well, you'll have to answer that yourself when the occasion arrives. I do have a question about the phrase, though. My question is, what's the difference? What's the difference between thoughts and prayers? There's thoughts and there's prayers, or perhaps thoughtful prayers and prayerful thoughts. Does it not all occur between our ears? Somewhere in that cranial matter which is held snugly inside one's skull, somewhere in there, words and images become part of our consciousness. We have to be conscious to perform tasks and do our jobs, and take care of our responsibilities. We have to be conscious to care about what happens to someone else and what they might be going through. Those words and images, one might call them thoughts. But if we pray for someone, is that not thinking of them and envisioning them in good health or better finances or success at an endeavor? Both thoughts and prayers require the same mechanics involving that cranial matter between our ears. If I understand it correctly, a meditation is usually a stilling or quieting of what rambles through our brain cells. We eliminate the stimulus that is around us 24-7, the song we're listening to, the activity before our eyes, the worry about a loved one. As we get beyond the surface rattle, we trust that anything floating to the surface will be insightful and enlightening. Work can be a form of meditation, when you're concentrating on what you're doing and you only have one thought going through your brain, that paintbrush in your hand and the perfect brush stroke that you're leaving, or the paperwork that has to meet the deadline. Maybe it's a sewing of a perfect seam or knitting that sweater for a gift. We know that work requires thought, at least for most of us. But can work be considered prayerful, a form of prayer, I believe there are monks who consider their lives as prayerful. A definition, prayer, an invocation or act that seeks to activate a rapport with a deity through deliberate communication, thanksgiving or praise. And a thought, a developed intention or plan, conception, idea or image, the mind's eye, You know that favorite t-shirt of yours, the one with the band or organization you've always admired, or the one with that slogan that you believe in so strongly? When you grab that t-shirt and put it on, don't you think thoughts pertaining to its statement? Maybe it's a Beatle t-shirt. There are two of them left. The two more powerful social lifters are gone. I wonder why. But putting that t-shirt on, might you think, give peace a chance? Could that be considered a prayer, for the Beatles maybe, and all that they had influenced? The t-shirt that says support unions, or feed the hungry children, or even the company you work for, when those thoughts go through your mind, could that be considered prayer? Where thoughts go, energy flows. Why would anyone pray if they didn't expect results, a form of energy? Perhaps if we strive for a more thoughtful, prayers and more prayerful thoughts, the two might merge toward each other to be interchangeable. Somewhere between a thought and a prayer is your heart. May your heart be merry and full of wisdom and compassion. This is Rick Fettig with the Brown County Hour and WFHB.
7: Oh gosh, that's my weak and rather scary imitation of the Tom turkey gobble. Introducing today's topic on nature ramblings, the wild and domestic turkey. That's what we want to talk about and soon to be the star of the show at many Thanksgiving tables. After all, what would Thanksgiving be? Right around the corner without turkey on a platter, that big and fat and golden brown bird with all the fixings that soon to grace our tables. That's another meager attempt of mine to sound like the hen as she strolls through most of our Brown County woodlands now with her brood following her. That audible cluck lets the young know of her location as they scatter to look for food. The young at this stage are called poults. You may have seen scratches on the forest floor, places where the leaf litter has been pushed or fanned away. Actually, they scratch at the leaves and gravel with their claws to expose bare ground, and it's here the female and mostly her female poults will look for nuts and seeds, insect egg cases, snails, and inactive bugs that make up most of their diet. Look for any sign of a long beard, and you can tell even from a distance on any bird to know that they are males, some large and fully feathered, the young still with their purple heads. Toms and the young toms will stay together this first winter. When I started working in the mid-70s at Brown County State Park as a lowly seasonal, one of my first jobs was to help trap rough grouse. The Indiana DNR at the time conducted a trade with Missouri DNR, three of our grouse for one of their turkeys. Releases of the turkeys took place in several places in southern Indiana, also in the park on Mount T Ridge here in the county, and in several places throughout the Hoosier National Forest. The introduction was successful as most of us know, and there are turkeys now present in all of southern Indiana's counties where woodlands are intermixed with ag fields, producing an excellent habitat for this king of the game birds. The turkey and grouse, along with the bobwhite quail and the Hungarian partridge, all belong to an avian family called the galliformes. They are gallinaceous birds, meaning that they have a crop and a gizzard to help with digestion. Tough nut hulls, weed seeds, corn, and other rough food types require breaking down of the seed coat. Whatever they pick at mixes with saliva and other digestive enzymes as it travels into their esophagus. Because these birds don't have any teeth, the pieces of food they eat often remain relatively large. From the esophagus, the food moves into a crop at the base of the neck where it can sit for up to 12 hours. Then the food slowly trickles into the gizzard, where mussels and small hard particles like grit or sand help further grind it up into digestible bits. According to the National Turkey Foundation, 88% of Americans eat turkey on Thanksgiving. Wild birds, brought home by the family hunter, make up a very small portion. Most birds are domestically raised, and the turkey industry produces birds for consumption, and it has increased since 1970 to over 110%. The hunting season takes place here in Indiana in the spring, when the hens are on the nest. And it is the toms that are harvested. Recently, though, there is a fall season for turkeys in Indiana, indicating that bird numbers have risen so well that they can be hunted now twice a year. Again, habitat preferences of woodlands and brushy field borders next to ag fields for birds to live is the reason we see so many. How many of us have seen the pardoning of the turkey at the White House Each year, the National Turkey Foundation has presented a live turkey and two dressed turkeys to the president. The president does not eat the live turkey. Rather, he pardons it and allows it to live out its days on a historic farm. The University of Illinois Extension staff says that the five most popular ways to serve leftover turkey are in a sandwich, stew, chili or soup, casseroles and as burger. My dad always liked turkey croquettes with gravy, and I'm partial to the turkey sandwich on homemade white bread, lettuce, and tomato, and mayo. Oh man, my mouth is watering right now with the mere thought. However you like the leftovers, the real treat will be the plump bird enjoyed by all. Take it all in. Enjoy this festive feast that takes hours in preparation, but probably only minutes to consume. Oh yeah, and show some thanks to the folks that helped prepare this event. Happy Thanksgiving. It's been Jim Eagleman for the Brown County Hour. Thanks for listening. Here on Possum Trot, we're on the verge of a blessed event.
0: Comparable to having a new puppy or finding a huge mess of morel mushrooms, namely, REMC is bringing fiber optic to our neighborhood. They got a big grant several years ago to bring the miracle of high-speed internet to the hinterlands. And for the last few years, they've estimated that the line would be installed and we would be hooked up by Christmas. Only, they didn't say which Christmas. As fate would have it, the other morning, two hardy-looking young men showed up at our house with the intention of installing the line down the center of our driveway. They were supposed to call first, but fortunately, we were home, and I was able to point out the buried lines they needed to avoid. The lead guy and I had a funny conversation about the fact that all of the support teams who are making this installation happen are subcontractors, and essentially, none of the different teams communicate with each other. This came up because he described the installation by saying, Once the cable is in, there are a group of guys who will hook the cable to the box on the outside of your home. Then, a different group of guys will bring it into the house and hook up the Wi-Fi. He concluded by saying that he had no idea when these things would happen. Just as they were getting started, it began to mist. That progressed to heavy rain. And eventually, as the temperature dropped, heavy snow began to fall. And as they say, that was that. All of this got me thinking about the history of rural electrification in Brown County. It's my understanding that in the early 1900s, there were private electric generation stations in Nashville that provided electricity for a few hours a day to subscribers, but the hinterlands weren't fully electrified until the 1950s. The reason it took so long for electrification is the same reason it's taking so long to bring high-speed internet. It costs too much, and the return is too low for private enterprise to be interested. The creation of rural electric membership corporations paved the way for rural Indiana in general, and Brown County in particular, to eventually receive power. The following came from the Indiana History Blog. On July 22, 1935, the Boone County REMC became one of the first funded federal electric projects in the country, and the first in the state. During that same year, Indiana became part of a growing number of states to enact legislation aimed at electrification capacity. This legislation was given an important boost when, in 1936, President Roosevelt established the Rural Electrification Administration and began allowing for distribution of public support dollars. In Indiana, the process of establishing REMCs and encouraging electrification fell to the extension service. Over the next four years, extension agents helped to form numerous REMCs across the state. Obstacles to electrification included creating the infrastructure, which in Brown County were considerable because of the terrain. Many citizens worked together to erect their own poles and strung wire that was provided to them by our REMC. However, infrastructure wasn't the only obstacle. Many people were afraid of electricity, and psychological barriers had to be overcome. Historian Audria J. Wolfs, How Not to Electrocute the Farmer, assessing attitudes towards electrification on American farms, 1920 through 1940, tracks the process and problems of making this rollout happen. Several early research reports document the hazards of incorporating electrical equipment, particularly generators and batteries, into farming homes. As Wolf notes, many women avoided substations and gas-powered electric appliance as they had the tendency to explode. As the years went by, progress was not always consistent, but it was certainly effective. According to Dwight D. Hoover, between 1930 and 1940, electrified Hoosier farms went from 1 in 10 to 1 in 3. And according to Teresa Bear, by 1965, nearly all Hoosier farms had electricity. It took nearly eight decades of sustained effort for most rural Hoosiers to gain access to electricity. That's a long time but it speaks powerfully to what can happen when the people get behind a project. Today, we take electricity for granted, and we're upset when the power goes out. It's estimated that parts of our county won't receive fiber optics for a few more years. I don't know why RAMC started at our end of the county, but I'm sure glad they did, even if we're not sure which Christmas it will finally happen. This is Dave Seastrom. see you next time. They'll
4: do this song about my car. <laughs> True story here. They say she likes a four wheel drive. She likes an SUV. She's crazy about a muscle car, classic Model T. She even likes a limousine, but none of that's for me i just need a way to get from point a to point b love my car it's a beater with a heater goes pretty far but it's a real gas eater she don't like what i drive well i don't want to meet her love my car it's a beater with a heater Now I might have to change the tire Or glue the mirror back on Radio, it always works But the stations might be gone Sometimes I gotta smack the dash When I turn on the lights Sometimes I roll down the windows Drive around all night Love my car, it's a beater with a heater Don't go fast, but I never was a speeder She don't like when I drive Well I don't wanna meet her Love my car, it's a beater with a heater I'm gonna take this thing around the block now You can have your custom van, you're fast and furious. You can keep that big stand that's so luxurious. I don't want no hybrid car or monster pickup truck. Heck, I tore out the back seat so we got a place to to sleep. Love my car, it's a beater with a heater. It's got four doors, but it's only a two-seater. If she don't like what I drive, I don't want to meet her. Love my car, it's a beater with heater. Love my car, it's beater with heater. Anybody got jumper cables?
0: Thanks for tuning in to episode 93 of the Brown County Hour, recorded in our studio at the History Center here in downtown Nashville and brought to you the first Sunday of every month at 9 a.m. and the following Wednesday at 6 p.m. And be sure to look for us on iTunes and Stitcher.
1: The Brown County Hour is brought to you by a diverse group of folks who believe now more than ever the world is for everyone.
0: This show was produced by Chuck Wills,
1: Pam Rader,
0: Rick Fettig,
1: Vera Grubbs,
0: Jim Lemon, and Dave Seestrom. We would also like to thank Slats Klug for our theme music. You have been listening to
2: the Brown County Hour, coming to you from deep in the woods of Brown County, Indiana.
3: Celebrating the arts, culture, and nature that make this such a unique community.
7: Visit us online at browncountyhour.com.
2: The Brown County Hour is a production of WFHB.
1: Volunteer-powered, listener-supported community radio for South Central Indiana. Take me back, back to my home, Brown County home.